Before we begin tonight, I'd like to take a moment to honor the career of Gail Sayers. Sayers passed away on the morning of September 23rd and will always be remembered as not only one of the best running backs to ever play the game, but one of the best football players ever. Before injuring his knee, Sayers came right out of Kansas University and proceeded to be named to five first-team All-Pro teams in his first five years. Sayers is one of only ten men to ever accomplish such a feat. His impact on the game was ahead of its time, and he will be truly missed. How do you pay, man? Uh, if you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Great cash, homie. I'm here so I won't get fined. It's my quarterback. Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. We sucked. The second half, we sucked. Welcome, everybody, to the 1201 Sports Nets Network. I am your host, Jake Bruyer, and this is our Week 3 Fantasy Primer, where I'm going to go through each game in the coming week and give you my take on all the players worth mentioning. After reviewing all of the games, we've got a few mailbag questions, so thank you so much for your support there. If you'd like any questions answered about your team, just shoot those over on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go ahead and give us a follow, and if you got time, please rate us, review us, Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, you have no idea how much that helps us, and we'd greatly appreciate it. So we'll start off with the Thursday night game, Miami at Jacksonville. Jacksonville's a three-point favorite. Miami is one of the biggest run funnels in the league right now, currently giving up 33 rush attempts per game. You can go ahead and fire up James Robinson as a really effective RB2 this week. Now, I'd expect to have a decent game from Gardner Minshew, given Miami... They're not that strong, um, but I wouldn't expect a QB1 type game, again, because of the many run attempts that Miami gives up. DJ Chark is maybe a wide receiver three at this point in time due to Minshew spreading the ball around a ton. They're really efficient on offense. It's just no one person is getting funneled to targets like we thought Chark would. Uh, however, I would keep an eye on Keelan Cole in deeper leagues. He's leading the team in targets, and if that continues, he could be a viable option. On the other side, Jacksonville is 31st in pass defense DVOA, so you can go ahead and fire up all of your Dolphins pass catchers. Mike Gesicki is honestly an every week tight end one. He's playing a lot more from the slot. He's going to get consistent points for you. Devontae Parker should also be seen as a wide receiver three guy, and even though my boy Preston Williams is still my boy, it's hard to trust him as anything more than a low-end flex until he can get more catchable targets. And at running back, I mean Miles Gaskin... I mean, only if you're struggling at running back and probably in PPR only. Next up, we have Las Vegas at New England. New England are six-point favorites. Cam Newton is easily an every-week quarterback one. Don't doubt it anymore. Don't question it. Set it and forget it. Now, if their current target percentage keeps up, Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry are probably every-week starters for you. Both are seeing over 28% target shares and both should see some positive touchdown regression coming their way. On the other side, Belichick will likely try to take out Darren Waller, so this week I would temper expectations there. I'd still start him, honestly, since you likely don't have better options if you spent the draft pick on Waller. Uh, at running back, if Josh Jacobs' pass game works, if the pass game work keeps up, which it should since he's amazing, and John Gruden, I mean, I don't like him as a coach, but he's turning on that film on Monday morning and saying, dang, 
Josh Jacobs is a bona fide RB1 going forward, even in the tough matchups just like this. The LA Rams at Buffalo. Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite. The Rams play one of the fastest paces in the league. So Buffalo on the other side will see plenty of offensive chances. Josh Allen is easily going to be a QB1. Stephon Diggs is a locked-in wide receiver, too, as we saw what he could do last week. And John Brown is definitely a decent flex play uh, in this high-paced matchup. The Rams are really weak against the run, but Buffalo is 29th in run DVOA. They've pretty much split that backfield down the middle. I honestly wouldn't start either Singletary or Moss if you have better options. If I had to choose between the two, Zach Moss is the guy because he's getting the goal line work. Robert Woods on the other side is still the target hog on this offense, so start him up. But Cooper Cup's roughly 20% target share is kind of promising this early on, especially if they keep up this pace. Tyler Higby is again, he's going to be locked in as a tight end one. He's got that huge touchdown upside like he showed you last week. And again, if the pace keeps up, everyone in this offense can be viable, even Jared Goff. Houston at Pittsburgh is next. Pittsburgh are four-point favorites. Goodness, Deontay Johnson should be locked into your lineups every single week. He's an extremely high upside wide receiver two guy, especially in this Pittsburgh offense. On the other side of him, you have Juju. Look, his volume is still decent, and I do expect that to increase back to around a 22 to 23% target share. I expect him to dominate the touches in this offense. Stay strong. Hold on to Juju. He will pay it off by the end of the year. Also, in this game, I would start James Conner confidently against a very weak run defense for Houston. They'll see uh, a great game script with Pittsburgh pretty much dominating most of this game. Houston's weak against the run. It just adds up. Ben does have a lower upside this week due to Houston's weakness against the run, but he's still probably a high-end QB2 in this game. On the other side, David Johnson is a risky play due to Pittsburgh's really good defense and the negative game script they'll likely see. Due to that negative game script, however, I think Watson should be able to put up low-end QB numbers. Again, he'll be throwing the ball a ton. His legs will add into it. I'd feel comfortable starting him. If I had to pick a wide receiver to risk on here, I'd put my money on Will Fuller. I know Brandon Cooks had a big game last week, but we saw Darius Slayton. He's a big play guy for New York in week one. He had a big game against Pittsburgh. If anyone can, it's apparently going to be a big play guy, and that's exactly what Will Fuller is. San Francisco at the New York Giants are next. San Francisco is a four-point favorite. Man, this game is a wasteland. I almost don't feel comfortable telling you to start anyone. Neither of the quarterbacks should be started here. I mean, unless Daniel Jones is your QB2 in Superflex, I don't feel comfortable telling you to start any of the running backs either because both backfields will likely be split. And then when you get to the passing game options, do you really feel good about any of them here? Because I can't find any. I mean, you're likely starting Evan Ingram due to the the high target volume and the pick you had to spend to get him. But man, I would temper expectations on everyone, Darius Slayton as well. In San Francisco, uh, Jarek McKinnon did see a lot of the pass work, but with the positive game script coming, Jeff Wilson might be the guy who gets the bulk of the touches this week. Honestly, this game is going to suck. Tennessee at Minnesota is next. Tennessee is a two and a half point favorite, and I would hammer that. I'd lay the points so fast because Minnesota is bad. Derrick Henry is my top positive regression candidate at running back right now. He's got a ton of carries. He's getting the yards, maybe at a less efficient clip, but he has no touchdowns. 
trust me, stick with him. Once the touchdowns come, Derrick Henry will make you very happy. Now, with this high-efficiency offense going on right now, my boy Jonu Smith has officially broken out. He's a touchdown machine, and he should be a starter in your lineups every week, especially due to the high variance of the tight end position. Why would you start anyone else other than a guy who has the potential to put up two touchdowns in a game for you at that spot? Now, if A.J. Brown is healthy, you're starting him. And then Ryan Tannehill is an every-week QB, two, due to the efficiency of the offense that they set up for him. And he gets some rushing yards. Two or three extra points on the ground will help any quarterback. For the Vikings, other than Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen, man, this offense is scary. Like, I never want to watch them play football scary. Now, we do have a mailbag question coming up for Kirk Cousins at the end of the show, so I won't spoil that, but you can kind of get an idea on what I'm thinking. Washington at Cleveland is next. Cleveland is a seven-point favorite. Odell Beckham had an incredible game last week. And, well, however, Washington's strength is their D-line, so it's a risky play to assume Baker will have time in the pocket. Beckham this week is probably a low-end wide receiver, too. He's got that upside to score, but I don't know. I'd temper my expectations on that Cleveland passing game this week because I don't know how much time that offensive line is going to give Baker. I'd still start Beckham as a wide receiver, too. Again, Jarvis Landry is maybe a flex guy. Baker, he's a QB, two this week. Why do I think Baker's a QB2 in this amazing matchup with Washington? Because two things were proven last week about the Cleveland Brown backfield. Nick Chubb is going to be dominant in positive game scripts, and Kareem Hunt could be dominant no matter what. Hunt should probably be started every week because at the very least he'll give you flex numbers, and Nick Chubb should absolutely be started every week that Cleveland is favored. If If they're likely to see the positive game script, Follow exactly what happened on Thursday night. They're in the lead. They will ride Chubb out. Now, on the Washington side, we got to go with process over results here with Logan Thomas. He's continuing to see a really high target share. Continue starting him at tight end. He's getting the volume. He'll put up the stats to go with it. And the same can be said about Terry McLaurin. With the negative game script coming in pretty much every week, you can start those guys. And Antonio Gibson, now that he's playing more snaps, could be a sneaky flex guy as long as the work rate stays high. Cincinnati at Philly is next. Philly is a six-point favorite. Okay, not only is Dallas Goddard leading this team in targets, he's the best receiving option they have. It's not Ertz. It's not Deshaun Jackson. It's not Jalen Rager. Dallas Goddard is emerging as their number one option in the passing game, and I am here for it. Zach Ertz is still seeing a 17.5% target share currently. Um, You can still start him because, again, you probably spent tight end four draft capital on him, roughly in that spot. But I wouldn't expect the Ertz of old to fill out your fantasy lineup every week. At running back, Miles Sanders was an easy target for me in fantasy this year, and he showed why in week two. He bounced back from the hamstring injury. He's locked in as an RB1. Carson Wentz, however... He's probably nothing more than a QB2 at this point. Their offensive line is shaky health-wise. I mean, when you're funneling stuff to the tight ends, it really kind of limits your upside as a quarterback. After this week against Cincinnati, he gets San Francisco, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. It's not looking good moving forward. Uh, Philly has allowed the most rushing attempts on the year so far. And while the RB1 upside might not exactly be there because of the passing game work, and the touchdown upside, really. 
I still think you can confidently start Joe Mixon as a high-end RB2. He's getting the work on the ground. He's just got to start scoring. Also, A.J. Green has some really good positive regression coming. He's got a 25% target share. He's going to put up the numbers. The more he gels with Joe Burrow, the better it's going to get. And speaking of Burrow, he's cementing himself as a solid QB streamer every week. Philly is 27th in pass defense. Fire up Joe Burrow as a QB2 streaming option this week. Chicago at Atlanta is next. Atlanta is a a 3.5 point favorite. And it pains me to say this, but this could quietly be a bad spot for Atlanta. With Julio Jones nursing a more serious than originally thought hamstring injury, Calvin Ridley could be forced into the number one role, and that'll mean stiffer coverage. Now, of course, the targets are going to be there if he is playing that number one role, so I'm still starting Calvin Ridley no matter what. However, Chicago is top five in pass defense DVOA. I don't foresee like a huge 20, 25-point game coming from Ridley, but he'll get the work enough to be startable in your lineups. And we did get a comment from one of our co-hosts at 1201 to talk about Russell Gage. So he's seeing insane usage right now. He's got a 23% target share. And while I think Julio getting back to full health will hurt that target share eventually, he's still a really interesting flex play, especially in PPR. Atlanta's defense is awful, okay? They will be constantly in shootouts. The higher the projected total on the week, the more valuable a guy like Russell Gage is when Matt Ryan's throwing the ball constantly. I think Russell Gage is definitely a hold, and in those really tough matchups where they're going to have to be coming from behind, Gage will absolutely be viable. And, of course, because of all of that, Matty Ice is a QB1 no matter what. There's just too much passing upside to ignore. On the other side, Allen Robinson. Again, you're going to hear me talk about positive regression a good bit. He is one of my uh, positive regression targets this week. He's seen a 26% target share but only has eight catches. Like, that is insane. Follow the targets because the fantasy points will come. They will be there. Robinson should be confidently left in your lineups. This could be a tough game script here for David Montgomery with Atlanta being the much better team. Uh, If they can jump on a potentially Julio-less Falcon team, David Montgomery will probably see plenty of work. It's just I'm not confident that that scenario plays out. We've got the New York Jets at the Indianapolis Colts. It's our first double-digit favorite of the year. Indianapolis is a 10.5-point favorite over New York. Yep, Jonathan Taylor is a stud. If you got him in around the fifth round of your drafts, you're going to be laughing all the way to the bank because you got top 10 value. He could be the steal of fantasy drafts in 2020. He's a bona fide RB1. Don't sell him. Sit him in your lineups and have fun. Meanwhile, with Paris Campbell's injury, T.Y. Hilton is currently seeing a 22% target share. It's not sexy work. It's not a sexy name to put in your lineup. But in your flex spot, I mean, you could probably do worse. Now, for the Jets, with Jamison Crowder likely out, I mean, the only person you should probably be starting for the Jets is the punter. Because they suck. Carolina at the L.A. Chargers is next. The Chargers are 6.5 point favorites. Color me surprised that Justin Herbert looked decent. You heard us talk about it on our draft episodes back around January, February time. I wasn't that big a fan of Herbert. Now, I will say I blame it more on a lack of preparation time by Kansas City since Herbert was literally thrusted in there pretty much 10 minutes before game time as the starter. But whatever. 
I mean, he's not startable yet, seeing as how Anthony Anthony Lynn still wants to lose and play Tyrod. But if he does get the start, it really does help guys like Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry, Mike Williams, and Austin Eckler. They're all benefiting from it. If Tyrod is in the lineup, you have to downgrade every single one of those guys because Herbert actually made the offense hum while Tyrod is getting a check. On the other side for Carolina, DJ Moore is a massive positive regression candidate, so hold out hope there. He's getting the volume. And Robbie Anderson is seeing an insane amount of targets too. I'm glad Jonah wanted me to talk about him last week, make me sound really smart saying he'll be a part of this offense. Look, Carolina sucks, man. They're going to be passing the ball a lot. He's going to keep getting this volume. He's a consistent wide receiver type guy, wide receiver three guy with those type of numbers. At running back for Carolina, it's not as easy as it has been for the past three years by saying start McCaffrey. Uh, Mike Davis is going to be the play with McCaffrey out. He showed you what he could do last week, caught seven balls out of the backfield. Seeing as how Carolina will likely see nothing but negative game scripts moving forward, Davis will be startable as a high-end kind of flex guy. Now, McCaffrey owners should find, could they could find worse options than plugging in Mike Davis to their lineup. Also, before we move on, skip the bullet point, I want to talk about Josh Kelly. He's seeing some of the most consistent work on this offense right now for the LA Chargers. He stepped up nicely in that Melvin Gordon role, and he's doing all right. In deep leagues, he's probably startable as a flex guy this week against a weak Carolina team, but other than that, there's not too much upside there. And one of our mailbag questions coming up does reference Joshua Kelly, so stay tuned for that. Detroit at Arizona. Arizona is a five and a half point favorite. Dude, DeAndre Hopkins is seeing a 34% target share, and he's caught 88% of them. With Devontae Adams banged up and Michael Thomas banged up, there isn't a more valuable wide receiver in fantasy right now than DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler is Kyler. I mean, duh. You've got to keep starting him. With the positive game script coming for Kenyon Drake, he's definitely an RB2 this week. I just wish he was getting the pass work that he deserves. He's a dynamic playmaker, and if he was getting the pass work like we would have thought this year, he'd be a bona fide RB1. It's going to ultimately limit his upside if he's not getting that work. Now, it sounds like Kenny Galladay on the other side is going to be close this week. If he's starting, you're starting him. I mean, you have to. You've probably spent a third, fourth round pick on the guy. TJ Hawkinson is probably a low-end tight end one every week now, uh, as long as he remains a key in this offense. I would monitor his usage this week, how he performs with Kenny Galladay returning. Now, DeAndre Swift, he's still the back to own in Detroit. He's seeing a 15% target share, which is crazy as a running back. He'll likely be a low-ceiling PPR flex guy until he can finally take over the full workload in that backfield. Tampa at Denver. Tampa is a six-point favorite here. Denver's front seven is weaker than they've been in years, and Tristan Wirfs is getting a lot of love at right tackle for Tampa. He's apparently played like one of the best rookie tackles we've seen in a good bit. I would fire up everyone for Tampa. I'm talking Brady, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. They should all be in your lineups. And yes, you heard me right. Leonard Fournette is the back to own. We've been saying that from the beginning here at 1201. It only took him two weeks, but he balled out, and now he should see majority of the work in that backfield. He's going to be an RB2 moving forward. On the other side, man, Denver sucks. I mean, after losing Cortland Sutton to a torn ACL, there really aren't many sexy options here. 
Melvin Gordon isn't seeing enough passing work to be like a consistent RB2 every week. I think that Jerry Judy could potentially put up the best rookie wide receiver numbers this year. He's currently seeing a 21.6% target share with Denver being as bad as they are. I mean, they're going to have to be throwing the ball a lot. I mean, he could be in line for consistent wide receiver three numbers every week. Just have to monitor that to see if he's still getting that usage. Noah Fant is also a decent option at tight end with Cortland Sutton not hogging as many targets. It's going to get pretty easy here in these last three games. We got Dallas at Seattle. Seattle's a five-point favorite. I mean, you heard it here last week, guys. Seattle is winning the NFC, and there's nothing we can do about it. Russell Wilson will win MVP. They'll be back in the Super Bowl, and there's nothing we can do about it. Enough of that, though. We're talking about fantasy. Start everyone. Literally everyone. Dak, Russell Wilson, Ezekiel Elliott, Chris Carson, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Lockett, Metcalf. You're playing them all. Next up, the Sunday night football game. We have Green Bay at New Orleans. New Orleans is a three-point favorite. And yeah, this is definitely going to be Drew Brees' last year. He doesn't look great, and Michael Thomas isn't there to mask the deficiencies of the receiving room, which we saw some of that with plenty of drops by Traquan on Monday night. He's got no reliable targets past 10 yards down the field. I mean, it's sad. Green Bay's going to tee off. They have one of the best front sevens in football. I mean, you're obviously going to start Kamara and maybe even Jared Cook, but I would definitely find someone else other than Drew Brees to start a quarterback. Now, I would monitor Devontae Adams' status. If he's not playing on Sunday night, there's not likely going to be one wide receiver that takes over that same role. It'll likely be split by Rodgers. However, he is a good bet to put up QB1 numbers on New Orleans' defense, and Aaron Jones, of course, is locked in as an RB1 every week. And then Monday night, the game we're all looking forward to, the game that, man, we wish could be in the Super Bowl, it is Kansas City at Baltimore. Unfortunately, they're in the same conference. Baltimore is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Like I said, this is game-of-the-year potential. I hope it doesn't let us down. I mean, if you want a fantasy take, you really don't need to tell you really don't need me to tell you to start everybody in this game. However, I would mention in the Baltimore backfield, you can't exactly rely on Mark Ingram anymore, not like you could last year. I mean, he's nothing more than a flex guy with how involved J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards are. And that'll do it for the games this week, guys. We do have a couple mailbag questions. We got T Pringle from Louisiana that asks Tyler Boyd or Joshua Kelly this week? I would probably stick with Tyler Boyd. T. Pring, you made the the right call on that last week when you talked to me about Tyler Boyd. I would stick with it. Philly has an awful ranked, an awfully ranked pass defense in the DVOA. At worst, Burrow could put up huge numbers in garbage time, and that's going to be valuable for a guy like Tyler Boyd. Also, Jonah, a recurring member of this mailbag, from Louisiana asks, should I move on from Kirk Cousins and or Carson Wentz? And honestly, I'd actually say yes to both. Kirk Cousins hasn't provided us with much of a reason to be hopeful at all. And as mentioned earlier, Carson Wentz likely won't be startable for the next three weeks after Cincinnati. You're going to start Wentz this week because it is a plus matchup and see if you can ship him out before the bad games start rolling in. You never know, he might end up on the waiver wire if you do successfully trade him away. And that's going to wrap it, guys. Let us know what you think of the primer. Whatever your take is, be sure to let us know on Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. 
Stay tuned for all of our other shows coming out the rest of the week and always on our five-day lineup. We've got shows for days to fuel your car rides to work or when you're crying from a hard day at work on your way home. Have a great day, and always remember, even when we're wrong, we're always right.